Genesis chapter 43, starting in verse 1. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Pay careful attention then to the reading of it. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again and buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send your brother with us, we will go down and buy buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and about our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down. And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back to your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Then when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money, each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, they had washed their feet... And when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. 
When Joseph came home, they brought into the they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, and bowed down to him to the ground. He inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God, be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out. For his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews. For that is an abomination to the Egyptians." And they sat down before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of the others. And they drank and were merry with him. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We ask now, God, that you would grant us careful attention as the word is preached. We ask, O oh God, that we would grow in our understanding, our knowledge, that we would rightly apply your word to our lives. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the problem with the nation of Israel, that is to say the sons of Jacob, in the days of the patriarchs, was that they were being conformed and influenced by the nations around them, and not by the Word of God. They were the covenant sons of Abraham, they were the heirs of the promises that were made to him, and yet they were living among the Canaanites, and were becoming like them. For instance, Judah had taken a Canaanite wife, and later will participate with what he thought was a prostitute. Reuben had taken his father's concubines. And then, of course, all the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. Instead of living in light of the promises of God to them, they were living in the world Instead of living in the world but not of the world, these patriarchs were living of the world and like the world. And if something wasn't done, if something dramatic wasn't to happen, that they would be no different than the nations around them. In this regard, then, the story of Joseph is a story of God's grace toward Israel. By the providence of God, Joseph is used as an instrument of the Lord's mercy, protection, and as we saw last time, of his chastisement. Through a series of disciplines and tests and chastisements, Joseph will press his brothers towards a reconciliation which they desperately need. 
Now already we saw last time that Joseph had sold them food and had kept back one of their brothers, Simeon, with the stipulation that when they returned, they must come with their youngest brother, Benjamin, in order to see him again. And when they finally do come, he will test them again. He will test them for jealousy and for fidelity. Joseph, will, though, will grant blessings on Benjamin. He will give lavish gifts to the favored son, and he will then see how these brothers react. When, with him, when they were jealous, they had sold him into slavery. But God has been working in their hearts. And was continuing to do so. Reconciliation was coming to the covenant family. The sons of Jacob, both with Joseph, but also with God. As they are the covenant partner. And so we again return in our study to Genesis chapter 43. And as we said, the family of Jacob had gone down to Egypt to buy a little food. And they did this for what they thought was going to be a short famine. Of course, we know that the famine was much longer. In going, they had been forced to leave Simeon behind, and they were told that Benjamin would have to come with them when they returned. But, as verse 1 reminds us, the famine was still severe in the land. And what had previously been purchased to eat had been eaten. And so Jacob tells his sons, again, go again and buy us a little food. Now the problem was that Jacob had been unwilling to allow Benjamin to go. The old patriarch was still holding tightly to his youngest favored son, the one who had come from his late favored wife. Now, Reuben had previously volunteered to go and to take Benjamin with him, stating that Jacob could kill his two sons if he didn't return. Now, last time I suggested this may have been hyperbole, but there actually is another way to think about this, and that is that Reuben was very serious, that he was willing even that his line should be cut off. And if this is the case then it seems that there is a change occurring in the family already, at least, at least in Reuben, was taking place, that, there, that he is uh, seeing his sin. Reuben, you may remember, had sinned greatly against his father. And so this offer may be an indication of his repentance, though we will see and uh, that his standing had been and will continue to be in the future greatly diminished in the family of Jacob. Now, Judah's response, though, to his father's request to go and buy more food in Egypt was to remind him of the master's previous admonition. Look at verse 3. It says, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Benjamin must come. The man will not entertain our request if he doesn't come with us. And so Judah makes an offer of his own. Look at verse 4. He says, If you will send your, our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So Judah tells him very, very, very frankly, we, We're not going without Benjamin. We're gonna, we'll go. I will take him 
But we can't go without Him. We have no other choice. However, they could not take Benjamin without Jacob's permission. So even though these were grown men, they still must submit to Jacob's leadership. As one commentator put it, Joseph's word is final in Egypt. Jacob's word is final in Canaan. The onus, though, then is totally on Jacob. Judah goes to Jacob and tells, asks for permission. We need to take, I can't go without him, but you're going to have to be the one to tell us it's okay to take Benjamin. Jacob was going to have to decide whether he was willing to risk Benjamin in order to save the family. And Jacob understood this. He understood this fact very well. In fact, he laments this. He wished that the situation was different. In fact, he was frustrated with his sons because he thought, he thought they had put him in this position to begin with. Look at verse 6. Israel says, why, did you treat, why do you treat me so badly? Why do you treat me so badly? Why did you have to tell the man about the, your brother? And the sons respond, though, by explaining that we, we were just answering the questions he asked. Is your father alive? Do you have another brother? Now you'll notice that this does not exactly correlate with the narrator's earlier account. And it may be simply that the narrator left out some of those details. What they're saying is, look, this, this, the master of the, uh, of the land was asking us questions. We're just simply a- answering his questions. How are we supposed to know? How are they to know where this would lead? You notice though now that Judah is the spokesman for the family. And he's the leader among the brothers. And so he speaks to his father like this. Verse 8, he says, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we could have returned twice. Judah, for his part, promised his father what he would do, but he says, first of all, we need to stop procrastinating here. If they were to live and not die, which, by the way, is a repetition of Jacob's own word from earlier, if we're to live and not die, then we needed to go and we needed to take Benjamin with us. And he was going to personally guarantee the boy's safety. And so Judah is straightforward and to the point with his father. In fact, if they hadn't dilly-dallied so much already, they could have gone twice. Jacob was going to have to face the fact that there is no other alternative. There is no other choice. They must take Benjamin. Either they go with Benjamin and pray for the best, or they stay and they die of starvation. In the end, Jacob must concede his son's request. One has to wonder how long the brothers had tried to convince their father to let them go back for Simeon. We don't know. But it, it, it at least took them running out of food before Jacob finally could be convinced. But whatever the case is, they go with Benjamin. And if they're going to return, though, Jacob figures that they're going to need to bring some sort of gift, some, some, some sort of way to appease this master 
And so Jacob does what he could to protect Benjamin and to make this trip a success. Um, verse 11, then, then their father Israel said, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags. Carry a present down, a balm, honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, almonds. Take double your money with you. So there's all these things he takes. And you notice he even says about the money, well, you know, the, the money that was returned to your sacks, perhaps, perhaps that was an oversight. And so there's, there's all these items that are given. Gifts, the money, the money which had been previously uh, given, plus more money to buy more food. And the source of the money was to them still a mystery. They don't know where it had come from. But the, but the covenant family must act ethically. They must return what does not belong to them. And so they figure, well, maybe, maybe this was an oversight. If the Egyptians had made a mistake, then the right thing to do was to return it. Perhaps, too, Jacob was having second thoughts about his son's guilt. You notice he says, perhaps it was an oversight. Which seems to indicate maybe he thought, well, maybe my sons, who are not exactly very ethical to begin with, had taken it. He's, he's beginning to rethink the ethics of his sons. Jacob also sends a blessing. Verse 14. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man and may he send back your, brother, your other brother and Benjamin. In the end, Jacob was going to have to be content to trust in his son Judah. But more to the point, he needed to trust in the Lord. <coughs> because at the end of the day, this was his biggest problem. Jacob had not been trusting in God and in God's promises to him. He was anxious over losing his son. He was anxious over all of these things that have gone on. But as John Calvin aptly puts it, unbelief is the mother of every anxiety. Jacob just like you and me. Even as strong as a believer as Jacob was, still struggled with unbelief. And beloved, so, so do you and I at times too. Jacob then ends with this admission. He says, as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Jacob is finally resigned to the Lord's will. So if it's the Lord's will to take my children from me, then so be it. He prays for God's mercy, and he, and he must trust that the Lord will be gracious and merciful to him and to his sons. At this point, really, he doesn't really have any other choices. And so, then, the sons of Jacob did as they were instructed. They took the presents, they took the double portion of money, and they brought all these along with Benjamin down to Egypt, and they go before Joseph. And immediately, at the side of Benjamin, Joseph begins to treat his brothers, well, rather well, actually. He begins to treat them kindly. Remember, last time they had come, he was very harsh toward them. But now he treats them well, Joseph instructs his steward to bring the men into the house and to prepare a state dinner for them. And the dinner now frames the scene for us. And so the steward does, as he was instructed, he brought them into the house. Um, and as, the, as they're brought in, though, the brothers 
Well, they become afraid again. Verse 18, it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we were brought, that, that we're being brought in. You know, they're, they're bringing us in so they can assault us and they can make us servants and, and, and they're going to take all our donkeys too. Since they were being singled out from all the other buyers, the, the brothers supposed that the Egyptians thought that they had stolen the money. Oh yeah, those, those are the guys that last time they were here, they stole the money. Let's, let's take them. That's what they think. Now they may have considered other possi- all the possibilities as to why their money had been returned to their sacks. And this was probably one of the possibilities that they assumed that the Egyptians thought that they were thieves. Well, their father had thought it was simply a mistake. But what if it was a pretense to accuse them of theft? What if it was, it was so that they could rob them in kind? And so they're afraid. They're afraid of being assaulted. They're afraid of losing their donkeys. They're afraid of being made into slaves. And so they go to the steward. They, you know, they, they figure, okay, if this, if this is what's happening, well, let's, let's plead our case quick. And so they go to the steward. And they hope to head off whatever evil may be coming their way. And they explain that when they had come before, they realized that they had still had their money in their, in their bags. That they had been returned to them. And so they brought the money with them. We have the money from before and we have new money to buy more food. And so they're pleading their innocence with the steward. We didn't steal the money. But there was money returned. We, we don't know how it got there. Here, we have it with us. They, they don't trust what Joseph's intentions with them may be. So they want to make clear, we're, we're just victims of circumstance. We, we have no idea how this happened. Please, please, please don't do anything to us. Here's the money. It's noted too that each man had received back the exact weight in silver which, which, with which they had paid which reinforces their perplexity and their innocence. We received back exactly what we were given. We, we really didn't take anything. They don't know how it happened, but they wanted to make it right. Well, the steward, though, replies, look at verse 23. Look at this. He says, peace to you. Peace to you. Don't, don't be afraid. You're God. And the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. This is peace. Shalom. Be at peace. God has been favorable to you. Your God has been favorable to you. The steward states that he had the money that had been paid. The Lord had blessed them. They didn't need to worry. There's no need to worry. Be at peace, my friends. The brothers were to be set at ease. The money that they intended to return was again returned to them. And then notice too, in, that, in the context of, their, of the money basically being handed back to them, that even now Simeon is restored to them. Well, the connection between the returned money and the returned brother reinforces the idea that in placing the money back into their sacks, Joseph had been testing their fidelity to their brother. Would they take the money and run? Or would they come back and seek to rescue their brother? What 
they value more? Do they care about Simeon? Or do they care about the money? This is what Joseph was doing with them. Remember again that they had sold Joseph for money many years before. It's not like they hadn't sold their brother out before. Are they going to sell Simeon out too? Here they pass the test. Though we have to admit they're certainly under extreme pressure to do so, aren't they? The brothers still keeping their money and now they have Simeon returned to them and so they're brought into the house and they're treated very hospitably. Water is given, fodder is given to their animals. They're enabled to wash their feet, to clean themselves up. All of this is in anticipation of the master of the house returning. So the men are made comfortable. And they heard that there would be bread there to eat. And verse 26, when Joseph came home, they brought, uh, they brought into the house to him the present that they had. So they, they, all of the, 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 the nuts and the myrrh and the honey and all this stuff, they, they brought their gift before him. And then it says they bowed down to him. They went bowed to the ground. The, the, the first dream of the eleven brothers bowing down before Joseph is being now fulfilled. Their bowing is an act of homage. And Joseph greets them with polite interest in their well-being. Again, the Hebrew is shalom, peace. So literally, he asks them about their peace. He questions their overall well-being. He asks about their father. Is he alive? Is he, is he, is he well? Is he alive? Now Joseph's inquiry into his father's well-being, this is not a, a cursory inquiry. Jacob was at this point advanced in years. And so Joseph is truly, truly concerned about his father. The brother answers, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And then they prostrate themselves. Showing deference to the master of the house. And as Joseph looked up, he saw his brother Benjamin. Now, this is an important providence. All the brothers, including Benjamin, are now here, bowing before him. And again, both he, that is Joseph, and Benjamin are sons of Rachel. And so he inquires, verse 29, Is is this your youngest brother? Of whom you spoke to me? And then, he, and then addressing Benjamin, he says, God, be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph doesn't even wait for an answer to his question. He doesn't need one. He goes straight to blessing Benjamin. Now this blessing may have struck his brothers because here's Benjamin being singled out for a blessing. You know, they, they, they didn't want to have to bring him down there to begin with. Jacob certainly didn't want him to go down. And now the master is not far from taking Benjamin from them. He's blessing Benjamin. This must have struck them as, as strange or odd. The supposed Egyptian's favorable disposition toward Benjamin, which will be evidence at the dinner table... Joseph treats Benjamin with such goodwill, giving him much larger portions than everyone else. And so again, their jealousy is to be tested out. Later, when Benjamin is arrested for supposedly stealing the cup, that event could have been a boon to the brothers if they were jealous rivals. They could have said, well, you know, sorry, sorry Benjamin, G- good luck in Egypt. <laughs> 
Joseph is still testing his brothers out. He's carefully testing them little by little, even as God was changing them and convicting them of their sin. And now as Joseph sees his youngest brother, or his younger brother, he is overcome with emotion. And so he has to hastily retreat from the room. The Hebrew phrase is, his affections boiled up concerning his brother. His compassion grew hot. And we, we understand what this is like, don't we? His emotions got the best of him. He, his compassion was warm in him. They were raw. He was flush. And so he had to leave and go to his own chamber and weep. Joseph couldn't open, weep openly. He couldn't risk being found out. But the love that he feels for his family and particularly for Benjamin is just overwhelming. He's, he's overwhelmed. Even as he's testing this, these brothers of his out, even as he's the one controlling this situation, really, he's just overcome with emotion. And so he weeps. Joseph is often depicted as weeping when, when restored to his family. As one commentator puts it, if Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, Joseph was the weeping patriarch. So once Joseph is able to compose himself, he washes his face, he came out again, and he said to his servants then to serve the food. And Joseph was served by himself, probably because of his exalted status, and the brothers are served by themselves, and then the Egyptians are, again, by themselves. It's noted that Egyptians could not eat with Hebrew, the Hebrews because this was considered by them to be an abomination. Which is to say, the Egyptians thought that the Hebrews were abominable. Because the Hebrews, they were shepherds. They ate and sacrificed animals that the Egyptians worshipped. And so they considered the Hebrew people to be an abomination. The fact that the Egyptians found the Israelites detestable provides something of a clue as to why God sends them to Egypt to begin with, though. Whereas the Canaanites were willing to integrate with Israel, apparently the Canaanites didn't find anything to be detestable. They lived among them, they intermarried with them. The Egyptians wanted to remain separate. Now, you guys can live over there. This is, by the way, why Israel ends up in the land of Goshen, far away from Egyptian contempt, at least for a time. Meanwhile, as they remain in that place, though, they will be protected from the dangers of syncretism, which was apparent in Canaan at the time. The Count of Judah... Uh, and his marriage to the Canaanite wife named Shua in chapter 38 illustrates the danger that the nation was in there. And so being segregated in Egypt for a time, uh, over 400 years according to Acts chapter 13, uh, being segregated in Egypt will ensure that the embryonic nation will develop and come to full fruition, free to worship the Lord within the borders of this other nation. But in time, Egyptian tyranny will present a new threat from which the Lord will have to rescue them. But for the time being, here's the situation where Israel will be protected. God is providing for His people. You notice that the brothers then are seated according to their birthright. They're seated from oldest to youngest. 
Now we can presume, it's not stated in the text, but we can presume that this was at the instruction of Joseph. Joseph had told them how they were all to be seated. And this amazed the brothers. The word used here, amazed or astonished, carries with it the idea of alarmed. The brothers were somewhat alarmed by this. Why are we sitting like this? How did we end up like this? How could we have been placed this way? There is no way the master of the house knows our birth order. Or is there? Well, they thought perhaps God was judging them. Well, finally, the food is served. Portions are taken from Joseph's table. They're brought over to the table where uh, the, uh, the brothers are. Benjamin is given a portion which is five times bigger than his brother's. Again, Joseph is testing out their jealousy. This preferential treatment is similar to what Jacob had given to Joseph. Remember how Jacob had favored Joseph? Remember the, 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 the garment, the, the many-colored garment that he had? Joseph gives lavish gifts. He gives food. Later he's going to give five sets of clothes. It was an honor to dine with such a high official. And the fact that the food came from his personal table signified that he was personally caring for them. And that he is the source of their family survival. As far as the family is concerned, though, they were still in great danger. For there was the potential for promotion or rejection coming from the master's table. Proverbs chapter 23 instructs the wise son to not be distracted by the king's food. The guest's character is being watched by that official, and in this case, it's exactly what's happening. Joseph is serving them, but he's also watching them. Benjamin gets five times what everybody else gets. How are they going to react to this? Are they going to treat Benjamin the way they treated me years before? Well, the wine flowed, and they drank, and they were merry with Benjamin. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that they got drunk, but they were content, and they were full. They were enjoying themselves. They were relaxed. They were obviously at ease, despite Joseph's favoritism. And this prepares for them what will be the final and the crowning test for the brothers. The Lord had by His great providence provided Joseph for such a time as this. Joseph, the son of Jacob, was an instrument of rescue and grace for the people of Israel. They were in need of rescue and they were in need of reconciliation And they serve as something of a picture of the need which every human being has, every sinner has. The unredeemed sinner is an enemy of God in rebellion against Him and His law. In Christ Jesus, you and I have been reconciled to God through His death and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans, sin and death came through one man, Adam, and his death spread to all men because all sinned. But through Jesus Christ has come grace and the free gift of eternal life. What fallen men need is rescue. Sin brings death 
And not only temporal death, but eternal death and punishment for sin. Because God is holy and He's righteous and He's good. Mankind, by his fall into sin, lost all ability to do any spiritual good for salvation. In fact, natural man is adverse to doing good and is dead in sin. And so what mankind needs is to be reconciled to God. And God himself provided that in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The grace of God in Christ frees the lost sinner from bondage to sin. By grace we've been saved. It is nothing of ourselves. This is the free gift of God. And so for the Christian, we have been given new life in Christ. And we are called to live in this world, but not of the world. Well, Israel needed to do that too. Israel needed to live in the world, but not of the world. And they will learn, though, that they cannot do this without God's intervention and grace. And neither can you and I. And so Joseph being placed in the position of second in command in all of Egypt was by God's providence, by God's gracious hand of providence. And really, it ends up accomplishing two things. At least two things. One was reconciliation, which would occur among the covenant family. And two, that the nation would be brought to Egypt and segregated from the other nations so that they would be protected, in a sense, from themselves. Such that the nation could grow and prosper. So that God's promises would come to fruition. The patriarchs needed to be reconciled with one another. And Joseph is something of a type. He's an instrument to that end. He is providing them life as food is served to them, but he's also pressing them towards reconciliation. Just as man needs to be reconciled to God, Christ is the alone instrument of our salvation through his meritorious work on the cross. Joseph is used of God to reconcile his family. Christ, by his death, his life, death, and resurrection, has reconciled you and I by faith. To God, and so we can trust in Him and rest in Him. And by His Spirit, we are being continually molded and shaped. So, beloved congregation, trust in Christ, for He came to reconcile you and me to a holy God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for Your Word. We thank you for this this story of Joseph and how You used him to reconcile the family. We thank you also for how this points us to our Savior Jesus Christ who came to reconcile the whole family of God. That we have been brought out of darkness into your kingdom. That you have made us to be sons and heirs of the promise. That you have adopted us into the the family. Your family, the family of God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.